we go. Okay, well, luckily I was loud enough beforehand because people raised their hands, so I'm assuming you heard me previously, so I don't need to go back and start from the beginning. Okay. And so we are so glad that you are here this Sunday. My name is Lee. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is crazy that today is the last Sunday before Christmas. It's the last Sunday before Christmas, which is completely nuts. Um, but we are all so busy. Everybody's running around. You know, there's Christmas parties going on, there's shopping going on, there's plans for traveling going on. And so what I want to ask you to do this morning is just to pause and just forget about all the other things that are happening right now. And so over the next 30 minutes, let's just think about what God's Word has to say to us and how that impacts our lives, how that changes us from the inside out. Again, not because of, of the trees and the presents and the travel and all that stuff is great, but that doesn't change us at our core of who we are. Only God does that. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Uh, you can open up your Bible or the app on your phone, or if you don't have a Bible, underneath your seat we have these blue Bibles. Uh, if you want to take it with you, you are more than welcome to. We have, I think, three million of them somewhere in the back room, so please, you're welcome to take one. But if you're using this, we are on page 698. And so... The, the heading in your text, this is Luke 1, we're going to start in verse 46, is either going to say Mary's song or the Magnificat. So it's, a, it's the same thing, but it is Mary's song and just kind of like her response of, of praise and acknowledgement of who God is. Because earlier in chapter 1, she's been told, Mary, you found favor with God. You are now carrying the Messiah. He's going to be born. He's going to save people from their sins. So Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, and they're talking about this, and Mary's song is her response. So let's look in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to come before you, God, and just to push everything else aside, Lord. Now, there are so many things trying to vie for our attention, so many distractions in this world, God, but all of those pale in comparison to what we need to be focused on, and that is you. God, that is on your word, Lord. So we thank you as we celebrate this Advent season, God, this Christmas season, Lord, of, of what it meant for you to send Jesus. God, and how that changes us, how that changes completely the, the core of who we are. So God, I pray that you'll help us sit in these words, Lord. I pray that you'll help us to uh, hear the things that you're saying, God, Lord, and that it will continue to change our lives as you always have. In your son's name I pray, amen. So Mary's song is the first ever Christmas carol. It's the first song that has been sung as a response to the coming of Jesus. 
right? We just sing a Christmas carol, Joy to the World. So here's where the audience participation part comes in. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to tell me what your favorite Christmas carol is, but I do want to set some caveats here. When I say Christmas carol, I don't mean chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Uh, I don't mean All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, although that is a banger, but that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about songs that proclaim the coming of Jesus. Songs like Joy to the World that we just sang. So I'm going to count to three, and then I need you just to tell me what your favorite Christmas carol is. One, two, three. You're all right. Every one of you is right about what's the best Christmas carol. Uh, my personal favorite is Go Tell It on the Mountain. I like that one. Got a couple people like that. So Joy to the World that we just sang. Now for me, growing up, and even up until recently, right, I've seen songs like that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? It's, it's great, man, joy to the world. Like, people are kinder during Christmas time. People show a little bit more grace with each other during Christmas time. And it's very nostalgic for, for me, right? That's how I sing those songs. I, I have a lot of great memories uh, of Christmas growing up. Um, a couple not so great, but the great ones overwhelm the ones that are not so great. And so when I think of that, I think my first thought is to think of just the, like, the, uh, the togetherness of people in the world. But that's not what this is about. I heard a, a pastor say recently that kind of changed the way I viewed Christmas songs, Christmas carols that talk about Jesus. He said, you know, we sing those songs with such joy, and, and we should, and rightfully we do. But do you know the only reason we have to sing those songs is because of our sin? Without our sin, there's no need for Jesus. Right? So we sing about Jesus coming, we get excited about it. But see, if we don't understand things completely we're not going to be able to sing with joy our joy when we say joy to the world there's a danger that it becomes it was i had a great time with family and that's the meaning of christmas and so what we're going to look at today is that's not the meaning of christmas that's the result of christmas people come together because of what christ has done so we're going to look in here let's look at what mary says because mary understands this so well because i want you to look at how she approaches this and the posture that she has is the posture that we need to have. And it's a posture of complete humility. Complete humility. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's the first example of humility, in God my Savior. Because in order for you to call someone else your Savior, that means you have a need to be saved. That means you need to be rescued. So if you don't think that you need to be rescued, then you don't have a Savior. Right? That's part of this posture, part of this humility. And she goes on, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now, I want you to look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. She doesn't say, because I'm awesome. She doesn't say, because I work hard. She doesn't say, because I'm a good person. She doesn't say, because I treat people well. She points herself in no way, shape, or form. In everything, in our response, it should always be as, as, she does, as she says here. He has done great things for me. Holy is his name because that's who he is. That's what he does for us. It's got nothing to do with Mary. It's got nothing to do with us. In order for salvation and Christianity to be a part of your life, humility has to be one of the top things in that. If you're not humble, then you don't think you need Jesus, so you do not have a Savior 
in that regard. So Mary knows exactly what she's doing here. And when she talks about my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices, when she talks about her soul and her spirit, what she means is just the very essence of who she is at her core is being changed by God. And what's so fascinating about this is the power of God acts upon her, right? She didn't decide to be pregnant with the Savior of the world. The power of God acted upon her and changed her from the inside. The same thing happens with us. We are not smart enough or clever enough to choose God. God acts upon us. And then for those of us that place our faith in him, we have that salvation. But there has to be that understanding of humility that if someone has to act upon you, for you to receive salvation, then you cannot be your own savior. That, that option is not on the table. And so she talks about these things, that it has changed her. And so the three things I want to think about that she talks about, she says that he is mighty in verse 49, also that he is holy, and in verse 50 talks about his mercy. So I want you to think about this. God in his might, in his holiness, and his mercy. Hey, those are the three things we're going to focus on. And so the Greek word, when it says the mighty one, the Greek for that is dinatos. And so what that means is that refers to a king who comes as a rescuing hero. A king who comes as a rescuing hero. So even at this point, she is referring to God as a king, right? Just like we just saying, joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. We have to accept God as king for that to be the case. And so because he is mighty, he is able to deliver us. That's what her whole song is. It is a song of deliverance, deliverance from sin, deliverance from a life without God. That's what she's talking about. That is what she is focused on during this. And so if I asked you today, do you believe that God is mighty and powerful? The majority, if not all of us, would say yes. But see, we believe that in theory, but in reality, a lot of us don't live as though we believe that. That's one of the biggest reasons we don't do things like share our faith when we know we should. When we don't follow God into something, maybe sacrificing in some area where we know that we should. Because in reality, we don't believe that God is mighty and powerful. Because what we think is, you know, God, if I do this, I've had this friendship for 20 years. If I share my faith with them, what if we're not friends anymore? Or God, if I say something at my job, what if I lose my job? God, if, if I sacrifice my money to give to somebody else, how then will I have enough of my own? And so what we're saying is, God, you are not strong enough to help me deal with this. I don't believe that you've called me to do these things, to give of myself, and at the same time that you've got my back. Because we don't believe God is powerful enough to do that because our top concern is self-preservation. It's self-preservation. So we're saying that we're that God's not powerful enough to do that. And so that's what's so beautiful about this song is that she's bringing us back to see that, oh, God is mighty. God is powerful. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is even with Christmas, do we see Christmas as an expression of God's might and power? Or do we see there's a bunch of fun songs, there's a cute baby involved, and, um, you know, it's good to hang out and have good food. And see, the way we know the difference is the way that we view Christmas is the joy that we get from singing those songs. Is that over once January hits? Or can you continue to sing joy to the world the Lord has come throughout the entire year? Because if it's over when January hits, then you don't understand what Christmas is. 
we don't understand that because if that's the reality, joy to the world, the Lord has come, then that's for everything. That's not just for a holiday. So is God mighty enough to bring a baby into the world to save us from our sins? How would you and I, how would we live our lives differently if we truly believe that God was mighty? We truly believe that God had the power to do the things that he says he can do. How would that look differently for us? The second thing that she says is, holy is his name. So what does it mean that God is holy? It means that he is set apart, right? God's different than we are. I think we're all kind of fairly aware of that. It also means that God hates sin. See, we don't hate sin. We dislike sin a little bit. And there's honestly, for a lot of us, there are certain sins that we're comfortable with. And we just kind of accept that as that's the way that things are. And that God's okay with that because God views things the way I view things. That's how we all are. We all think God views things the way that we view them. And so we don't think to take that to the Scripture. God hates sin. If you read throughout the pages of the Bible, if you haven't, let me, let me tell you about this. Sin cannot go unpunished. If God is holy, then sin cannot go unpunished. Because if it does, then God is no longer holy. God is no longer holy at that point. But we've seen here, even as Mary's talking, that holy is his name. And so when we think about this, these songs that we sing and understanding that it's our sin that made Jesus come, right, we think about God's power, his might, and his holiness. And if we stop there, there's no reason for us to have joy when we sing. Because that alone will crush us. God's mighty, that's awesome, but scary. God's holy, that's really scary. Because if God is holy and he demands perfection and he hates sin and sin must be destroyed, then that's what I deserve. I deserve to be destroyed. I deserve death because of my sin. But I'm grateful to tell you that it does not end there. In verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. First, let's just... uh, put this out there, when it says to those who fear him, it doesn't mean people who are deathly afraid of God. It means people who have a sense of awe of who God is, of his might, of his power, of his holiness, of his glory, of his mercy. And so what does it mean that God extends mercy to us? In his mercy, God made Christmas happen. Because without that, we are lost in our sin. We are, we are hopeless. We are helpless because, as we've seen, we can't save ourselves. So God, in his mercy, makes Christmas happen. Instead of cutting us off, which he could have done because of our sin, he wants to cut our sin off. So, joy to the world, the Lord has come. So he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus. And we have to think about this. This is why we can sing with joy. This is why we can say joy to the world. The Lord has come because we understand our brokenness and our shortcomings and God's greatness and his holiness and more than that, his mercy. I mean, I don't know about you guys. For me, that changes the way that I sing these songs. The songs that are about the birth of Christ to understand that God loves us so much and takes such joy in rescuing us that he sent Jesus. We've got to connect all this. We've got to understand God's might in order for Christmas to work. We've got to understand God's holiness. And we've got to understand God's mercy. 
And so the next thing that Mary does in this is she then understands that her faith and her salvation is personal, but it's not just for her. It's not just for her. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. Our salvation and faith is personal, but it's not to be kept for ourselves. Let's look and start in verse 51. And this is what Mary's doing here is she's giving a historical perspective of what Christ has done. And, and after I read this, I'll tell you why that's such a big deal. Verse 51, he has performed a mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, here's what's fascinating about that. She is referencing the promise God made to Abraham. That promise was made 2,000 years before Mary gets pregnant. I mean, we can't even begin to fathom what 2,000 years is like. Like that, we can't even wrap our minds around that. But she's going back to something that God promised 2,000 years ago. Not even that. Let's, let's just shorten it a little bit to see if maybe we can understand this a little bit more. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament ends with the prophet Malachi. And so from that time until God comes to Mary, there's 400 years of silence from God. 400 years of silence. Even something to that, we cannot fathom what, that, what's that, what that's like. And what we do so often is we think about something, we pray about it, and then we say, you know what? I prayed to God for two weeks and nothing happened. He's forgotten about me. That's what we do. Like, we, we can't even go a couple of weeks and think that, that God has forgotten about everything. But when you think about this idea that the promise to Abraham that she's talking about was 2,000 years beforehand, no one, up until this point, God hasn't spoken for 400 years. Any person with half a brain would say that God has forgotten about his people. But what's being shown in this text is that, no, God always keeps his promises. Always. The reality is they don't fit into our time frame. See, that's the biggest difference because in our minds, we operate as, as we can, right? Like and as a human would operate, that's not how God operates. And so for, for this, this time, my time example, we're going to pretend that uh, this is the beginning of humanity, Right? Adam and Eve were born. This is our starting point. And this over here is our ending point for, for humanity on the earth, right, before, before God comes back and before we spend eternity with him. And so there's a line going from here to here. And so if I were to ask you, where is God? Right? When we talk about this timeline, where is God? And so some of us would say, you know, God's all, he's all along the timeline. Some of us say, wherever we are right now, that God is on that timeline. But the reason that God works differently is because if this is the timeline of humanity, right, this line from here to here, then God is the room that we are in. God is not confined by time. God created time. So for him, for 2,000 years, that sounds like such an insane amount of time, but for God, it's nothing. For God, it's nothing. So when we think about God's promises and him fulfilling that, you know, we, we often hear people say, well, you know, I, I hear that it talks about in the Bible like Jesus is coming back one day, but, you know, that was a couple of thousand years ago that people were talking about that. If God's promised, then it's going to be kept. 
it doesn't fit into our time frame. So we want to fit God into everything that we have. And, and so what Mary is saying here and showing us and reminding us is that God does not operate according to our preferences, according to our time frame. And it's good that he doesn't do that. It's good that he doesn't do that. And she talks this. He performed mighty deeds with his arms, scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Again, we talked earlier about humility and the need for that in order for us to have salvation. In verse 53, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And so at first reading, we kind of take that, okay, it's better to be poor than it is to be rich. The way that this is, is done through all of Scripture, when it's talking about this, it's spiritually poor and spiritually rich. Okay? So what it means is, if you are spiritually poor, you understand that you have a need. You understand that you cannot rescue yourself, that you need a Savior, just like Mary's done in this. But if you think that you're rich, then you think you don't need a Savior. If you believe that you're rich spiritually, you don't think that you have a need for anyone to come and rescue you. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, see, it's hard for us to really understand the way that God doesn't operate in time, right? Like God, God is in every moment and across the whole line and yet outside of it as well. And that's hard for us to understand. But that's okay because we're not God. I, I don't have to understand that fully. You don't have to understand that fully to trust that God's who he says he is. And so if he makes a promise, that promise is going to be kept. And so if he can do that, then what that means, again, is that God is mighty and that God is powerful. And so if he's mighty enough to operate in that way, then he is mighty and powerful enough to make a virgin have a child. Right? Because in reality, that's crazy. Right? It's crazy. How, how, how can someone, how can a virgin have a baby? It makes zero sense. The only way that's possible is if God who is who he says he is, if he is mighty, as we're talking about here, if he is powerful, that's the only way that that can happen. So maybe God's powerful enough and mighty enough to change each of us from the inside because of what he has done. Because of Christmas, because of the might that God has, he can change that. And so that's why we understand that Christmas changes everything, not because of the gifts, not because of the, the time with family. And those are all good things. Please, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. But that's not what it's about. The meaning of Christmas is that God saw us, that God saw our need, and that he wrote himself into our story and changed our lives forever. And it changes everything. And so, as we think about the songs, because you'll hear more songs on the radio. Uh, if you come to the Christmas Eve service, it's all Christmas songs, right, Ian? Is that right? All Christmas songs? Okay, I got the head nod. If you're here on Christmas Eve, it's all Christmas songs that night. And so what I want us to think about is to understand the viewpoint of what that is and what that means, to understand it's not just a nostalgic thing. It's an understanding that, yes, that, that we are broken and that, Without God, we are hopeless. But praise God, joy to the world, the Lord has come. So we can sing that with joy, and not just joy because everybody's together and, and things are good, because guess what? Christmas time is not great for everybody. So how, in spite of our circumstances, can we sing joy to the world, let earth receive her king, because of what God has done? Because of what God has done. 
And another, I, I was thinking about this, just a, a Christmas carol that, that really, I think, says this perfectly. Is, uh, I'm going to read a verse from O Holy Night. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I know a lot of us are feeling weary. But we can rejoice even in that weariness because of what God has done. Because Christmas has happened, we can still rejoice. When, when life sucks, we can still rejoice. When things are good, we still rejoice because we know that God has changed everything because of this. And so I know we're going to have another Christmas song in a minute, and I know we're gonna, you're going to hear more throughout this week. But please, take, take some time, especially if you're already a believer, take some time to think about what those words really mean. It's not just about good times with friends and family. That's a result of Christmas. It's not the meaning of Christmas. And if you're not a believer, I want you to just think, like, is, this, is it possible that this is true? Is God really this mighty? Is God really who he claims to be? Can I go to him and say, God, my Savior? One of the ways we think about that is when we have communion. And we're going to come to a time of communion here in a minute to, to focus on what Jesus has done, and to remember that time. And so to understand, that's all part of the process, right? We love the celebrating of Christmas, but Christmas alone doesn't complete everything. His death and resurrection completes everything. But God saw that need for us, and he sent Jesus. So we're going to pray, and then we do our communion. So I know the communion thing's a little bit tricky, so if you want to go ahead and start on that, you can. Um, but I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get to that. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you, and we, that we can rejoice because of Christmas. We can rejoice because you saw us hopeless and the helpless, and you did something about it. You didn't just leave us to be destroyed by our own sin, which you had every right to do. You had every right to do that because you were holy. You had the ability to do that because you're mighty. But you chose not to do that because you are merciful. God, and you sent Jesus who took our sin on the cross. God, I thank you that we can sing joy to the world. It is great news for the world that this has happened. And we recognize you as king. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We humbly kneel before you and just worship at your feet. Lord, help us to think about these things as we move forward and as we get to the Christmas day. God, just all that you have done for us. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Met with his disciples. They broke bread. And he said to them, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way he took the cup he said this is my blood poured out for you do this in remembrance of me